0: but it kind of made me who I am today. Wyoming has it all. Breathtaking hikes, kid-friendly museums, two of the coolest national parks in the country. The truth lies west. Discover yours at
1: TravelWyoming.com. I live by routines, but I especially love my same-day delivery routine with shipped, And my shopper knows this about me. When Sunday rolls around and I place my weekly stock-up order, Joe sends texts from the aisles. Wilted lettuce? Nah, uh Hard pass. Deal on my favorite sparkling water? Whew, grab two. Fresh flowers just because? Hmm, sounds like a delightful idea. If you love routines that work for you, get shipped same day delivery. Shipped, delight in every delivery. Learn more at ship.com/slash hi.
2: Okay.
3: Hey, everybody. Hi.
1: Hey, Sam. Uh,
2: wait, hang on. We should introduce ourselves, which we always forget mm-hmm. to do. I'm Sam Evans Brown.
3: I'm Justine Paradise.
4: I'm Jimmy Gutierrez.
2: And we all work on Outside In. We do. So we're going to answer some Ask Sam questions in particular because we got a voicemail recently that sort of annoyedly asked why we aren't answering any of the questions that are piling up in the inbox. We're not answering
4: the questions? (laughs) I
2: thought we
3: answered the questions. Someone noticed. (laughs)
4: That's a spicy Ask Sam. (laughs) Sam, what are you doing with my questions? What is wrong with you?
3: (laughs) Why are you lazy? Why do geese make feet? Does a bumblebee
2: sneeze? Can a person eat trees? Can a polar bear freeze? Is a kidney stone kind of like a pearl
3: in a clam? I don't know, Ask Sam. I think that's the first time I've actually heard. Is a kidney stone like a pearl in a clam? The answer like, to
2: that, I think, is is yes.
3: Oh no! The <laughs> I, answer I, to that I is just no. heard it for the first time. Is <laughs> it for the first time?
2: I really like. Can kind a of polar bear
5: freeze? Yeah.
2: Okay. Here's our first question.
5: Hey Sam, this is Jeff calling from Northwood, and I have a question for you. What makes laundry smell nice and fresh when you hang it out to dry?
3: Thanks. Mm. Hmm. That's a real thing. That is a real I, thing. I'll often like hang my like my quilt so that my my like bed will smell like the spring air, or spring breeze, but like not the spring breeze of the laundry detergent which mm-hmm. smells to me gives me a migraine, but like actual spring breeze.
2: We we line dry our clothes year round, but in the winter we have to do it indoors, which sometimes just means our clothes smell like onions.
3: <laughs> <laughs> That's a very relaxing, like <laughs> soothing sort of um what is that that's a Nordic word for like coziness oh hygge? yeah he, he. yeah
4: <laughs> I would have to go back to the 80s to, so, like you don't line dry I, I don't line dry I, I apartment live yeah he you, you got the you could do like the Italian style between the buildings I guess I could <laughs> if I trust my my neighbors more got why
3: this. does why does fresh air smell good I feel like that's the <clears throat> question like wh- well, like it, it, it it's just intrinsic I don't, I've never really thought about examining. Like, there are flowers carried on the breeze? Well, it's like,
2: if you lived next to a dump, would you mm. still have that nice association? Is it really just the, the things around your clothes that are getting on your clothes? Yeah.
3: Like, city living. Like, if you st- do string it Italian-style, like, between right. your neighbor's houses, do those clothes smell as good? Well, in Italy, they probably would. But, <laughs> <laughs> but like, if you're just, like, I don't know, in Somerville in Boston or something. Th- not to trash Somerville, but, like... Let's just say it's not an <laughs> Italian city.
4: So you can find her at Justine Paradise
2: at hey, Twitter.
3: Hey, hey. <laughs>
2: so the question is is there something, is it just like it smells nice outside and so therefore your clothes smell nice? Or is there something intrinsic to them going outside that makes them smell nice? All right. To figure out why line dried laundry smells so, so fresh, I spoke with a gentleman named Bob Monticello. Uh, technical director of the International Antimicrobial Council.
4: Good afternoon, Sam. We need a new name. Bob.
2: (laughs) (laughs) We're on the right track, right? Clothes smell nice in part because the outdoors smell nice. It has
5: everything to do with where we're at. So if we hang our laundry out to dry in a neighborhood where you have lots of fresh flowers and fragrances floating around, that's going to be trapped into the fabric. But
2: there's another, there's a hidden wrinkle here. This is a story of technological change, right? Which is that over the years... Our washing machines have gotten more efficient, which means they're using lower temperature water. Uh, And our detergents have become less caustic and therefore less environmentally harmful. But that means that they're also killing less bacteria.
5: The ugly truth is that we never really get rid of the total bacterial load that's on our fabrics. Even with washing and drying. And so
2: I'm not I'm not like a huge fan of like pointing out that bacteria surrounds us all the time uh, because I feel like that scares people when it's not actually a scary thing. But it is true that, Your entire washing machine is actually kind of a big Petri dish.
5: You can put in a sterile cloth into a washing machine, and it will come out just as dirty as everything else.
2: No, no. You might think this is fine. Then you take the clothes, you put them in the hot dryer. That will kill the bacteria. But actually, no, dryers do not get hot enough to kill bacteria. But you know what does, in fact, blow apart the tiny cell walls of tiny bacterial uh, cells. UV radiation.
3: Hey! (laughs) (laughs) And it breaks down our skin, too, huh?
2: (laughs) Funnily enough, Bob uh, is not a big fan of line drying. So while I could get him to admit that line drying does kill the bacteria on your clothes, uh, he was eager to point out that it can be tough on your fabrics as well.
5: I think the problem with the UV degradation of the fabrics... I think the problem that you're getting now with a lot of the athleisure, which is a lot of the spandex properties, you may actually see those those fabrics
3: drying out of shape. Well, you can't have lumpy athleisure. <laughs> <laughs> it's not acceptable.
2: So while while we did not agree on the the merits of line drying, we did agree on one thing, which is that the real solution is just wash your clothes less.
4: <laughs> oh my gosh.
3: What, oh if my they ha- what if they have salad
4: dressing
2: on them?
3: Living on earth is messy. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> this is I, I feel like I'm kind of uh, a little depressed about everything I just learned, I think. <laughs> um I mean, I that my clothes are not as clean as I thought they were. And that doing the thing that helps that breaks down my clothes faster, so then I have to buy more clothes.
2: I will. I will say the the whole idea that like line drying is bad for your clothes to me is is like a pretty thin argument because uh, definitely what is true is that your your dryer is worse. Mm. So like UV is not great, but like high heat is is even worse. Oh
3: yeah, Durr. Think about dryer, land. Totally.
2: Next up.
0: Hey, my name is Brian from Hopedale, Mass. Um, I was wondering, why when you're driving, do birds always, why do do birds always swoop in front of your car? Come on, birds. When they could easily just fly above the road and above the cars. What is with you,
4: birds? Mm. It's
0: something I've never understood.
4: This actually happened to me this morning coming into work. Really? Yeah. I was coming off the highway, coming down whatever road that is that we take to work, (laughs) and there was this pigeon that just swooped out in front of the car, and it just kind of like glided very, like, I don't know, it was, like, kind of, like... Majestically? It was majestic. It was, like, very, like, artistic, like, feeling itself in the morning. And I think it was just kind of showing off, like, I can fly, sucker, and you are in a car.
2: So you think
3: road. you think it's narcissism is the answer. <laughs> a bit. Yes. And, like, They're stunting. it worked. Well, you know, when you have, like, when a rabbit is running from you in the road, I think that mm. their instincts to sort of veer, um, to get away from their predators might work very well when they're trying to get away from a fox, but is like the exact opposite thing that you should do around a car? I wonder if there's something like that with the bird. Like, is there some sort of instinct? Mm,
2: yeah. But the, the beautiful thing about birds is there are so many people who love birds. And so we should talk to some of those lovely people, regardless if we think we know the answer or not. Even
3: though birds are kind of idiots and like getting in the way of a car. <laughs> <laughs> they call them bird brain for a reason.
4: <laughs> oh, wow. Birds, you can find Justine Paradise at Twitter. <laughs>
2: Okay, so I called two bird-loving humans, uh, and the basic takeaway I got from both of them was like, bruh, this isn't about you.
3: I feel like this is a common thing with people, and sometimes their interaction with nature is like, it's all about me, right? Why aren't they moving out of my way? Birds are out there to survive. And so the reason, a lot of the reasons why they're swooping in front of us is because they're on a mission. Did you interview a bird? Is is that a bird? <laughs> it's not about you. We're on a mission. <laughs> that
2: is uh, uh, Bridget Butler, aka the Bird Diva, who is a freelance birder for hire in Vermont. Does she
3: self-identify as Bird Diva? That
2: is her. That's her like brand. Nice. Um, I also spoke with Jason Ward, uh, who's the host of a web series called Birds of North America. From he's from Atlanta, uh, and he said, Justine, you were on the right track actually. That They fly the way they do because of just sort of like millennia of evolution uh, that has determined that this is the best way to keep safe from predators.
5: Uh, The higher you fly,
0: just to make that simple trip, the more you are susceptible to aerial predators and the more energy your spending as well by, by flying a little
2: higher. So when you see a bird fly in front of your windshield, it's just like a, a coincidence. Like, you're trying to get somewhere in the way you do it, the bird's trying to get somewhere in the way that it does it, and you two are just crossing paths.
4: It could also be the fact that it's using using kind of like a let's use this car so I can avoid this <laughs> chalk behind me. Yeah.
2: <laughs> um, and it's also true of predator species, too. It's not just prey species. So if you think about what a highway is, it's basically a big clearing right and if there are trees on the sides it's a big clearing with a nice spot to perch and look at the big clearing and that's that's where raptors hunt
0: well we've seen multiple cases in which raptors are unfortunately dead on the side of the road with their prey either still clutched in their talons or laying nearby
2: wouldn't that's an image yeah And this is the sad part is that like cars are a a really big source of mortality for birds. It's like estimates range from tens to hundreds of millions of birds killed each year by cars. Wait, wait, wait. I'm sorry. Tens of millions? The range is somewhere between like 80 and 300 million birds killed each year. Jesus. All right. Right. Um, Which uh, little like take home fact here. Uh, If you've got that apple core that you throw out the window, uh, not a great thing for wildlife, even though it is biodegradable because that apple core.
5: That attracts. Rodents, which then
3: attracts raptors.
4: But it's rotting in my front seat, Sam. What do you, what am I supposed to do with this rotting cord? <laughs> <laughs> do
3: you mean your heart? Oh,
4: you know me too well, Justine.
5: All right,
2: what we got next?
5: My name's Kathy, and my question is that my grandfather had a rhubarb plant at his house in Portland, Maine, and that rhubarb plant got transplanted to my parents' house in Thomas, Maine. And then the rhubarb plant got transplanted to my house in Boston, Massachusetts. And I was just wondering, is any part of that rhubarb plant the same plant that was my grandfather's plant?
3: Thank you. This is like that ship. Yeah, the ship of Theseus, which is...
2: What is the what is the ship of Theseus?
3: So the, the ship of Theseus is it's this thought experiment from from Greek legend and philosophy, where this famous hero Theseus goes on his journey, comes back to Athens, and the ship gets preserved, but bit by bit the wood starts to rot, so they replace it with new timber, new planks. But at the same time, they keep the the old boards and rebuild another ship with the original boards. But the the question is, which is the original ship? Which is the actual ship of Theseus?
2: Right. And so and so similarly with living things, like our cells are constantly dying and regrowing. And so it's like, when do we stop being us?
4: If we ever do? Why can't they both be the same ship?
2: There. it's
3: a philosophical question it's like a thought experiment yeah. it's a meta- <laughs> i go both
4: Jimmy. metaphysically this is like beach or mountains and it's like why both
3: this is like a mitochondria <laughs> question right yeah mitochondrial dna this is, what's I the mean, thing that like actually stays with us the
4: dna is one thing but as someone who has like a rosemary plant for my grandma it's like that rosemary is not the same rosemary but it's like when i look at it it's my grandma's rosemary. Right. It is like, the same
3: rosemary. I'm going to come down, down on rosemary. yes. It's this, yeah. it, I don't even it's, need to hear the answer. It's the same rhubarb. <laughs> it's like, it's that's your... F-
4: Kathy. Kathy, I'm talking to you. This is your family's rhubarb. <laughs> yes. We've already kind of identified the real answer, which is
2: that, like, Kathy wants there to be this sentimental mm-hmm. family connection uh, to the rhubarb. Uh, and there's there's, like, a pretty easy... Argument to make, which is that genetically it's got the same DNA, so it's the same rhubarb, uh, which does start to get us into a slightly weird space. Uh, I talked about this with Thomas Bjorkman, who teaches horticulture at Cornell. And he points out that not only does that rhubarb have the same DNA, but you could also dig up the root of that rhubarb, split it in half, Mm. something called vegetative propagation, and those two resulting rhubarbs would also both technically, under this definition, still be grandpa's rhubarb.
5: Cloning. Vegetatively propagated plants don't have to have just one body. (laughs) We kind of assume that. You know, that's sort of the familiar idea, that each individual has one body, but... (gasps) Plants don't follow that rule. Neither do I. (laughs) (laughs) Explain yourself.
3: That's all I need to say.
2: (laughs) (laughs) This gets even weirder because just imagine for a second that there was some reason that, like, Kathy's rhubarb was particularly superior so we, so we started splitting it and cloning it tons and tons of times, and all of a sudden it was everywhere. Would, would all of those be grandpa's rhubarb? And if that seems like something that's unlikely to happen, uh, consider the example of Chardonnay.
5: Right. So um, Chardonnay is a grape variety that's pretty familiar to people. It is quite old. They don't know exactly how old, but the seedling was I think at least 700 years ago that that seed germinated. So it's been around for And people liked the grapes that came off that seedling. And so they ended up um, taking cuttings of it and making more grapevines. And so now there are millions and millions of Chardonnay grapevines all over the world. They're the same seedling. So it's the same plant.
2: If that was your grandpa's grapevine, would would they all be your grandpa's grapevine?
3: Mostly I'm very fearful about the future of my wine drinking if it's all... (laughs) Clones. (laughs) Clones. <laughs> I just can, I see doom um, fore- foretold. But it does like get us back to where we started, right? Which is like if that doesn't feel right,
2: like if, if it feels like all of those would not be Kathy's grandpa's rhubarb, then that would also mean that after a certain amount of time, that that rhubarb that's in her yeah. yard in Boston also wouldn't be her grandpa's rhubarb. So,
3: what is, what defines grandpa's rhubarb? You know, is it, is it sentiment? Like possession, you know like if 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 my grandfather had a Chardonnay plant and it was the same as all of the other millions of Chardonnay plants, uh, what would make it mine? it was it would just be my rotting core, I mean my heart. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Well it's like it's like do we care about the stupid rules of philosophical consistency or do we not? Is really what it comes down to mm. for me.
3: So really you were never in this argument because it's it's just about it's just about love. You just gotta decide. Mm-hmm. This is Kathy's grandfather's rhubarb.
6: Yeah.
1: I live by routines. Especially my same-day delivery routine was shipped. Because when Sunday rolls around, I'm not scared. I got my shopper on the way with all my favorites. Ship, delight in every delivery. Learn more at Ship.com.
2: Who's
0: next? Hi, Sam. Uh, My name is Steven, and I wonder if you think we will ever reinvent the toilet. Oh, yes. It's a terribly inefficient machine right now. We're wasting huge amounts of drinking water. And in my work, I try and uh, turn urine into fertilizer, actually, and we are trying to reinvent the toilet. But we face a lot of pushback from people who just don't want to change the way that they do things in private. So have a great day, and that's my funny question.
4: Is is this like is this a problem with big toilet? Is this what we're talking about? So here? the
3: composting toilets are a thing, I was right? Say. Like, you, like I feel like it is being yeah. reinvented, and also not necessarily reinvented, right? Because does Stephen not know about composting toilets? Maybe it's, that's. I bet he
2: does know I'm about sorry. composting well, he, toilets. He wants more people to use them. Uh, and and like the pushback has always been that is like people don't want to deal with their feces. We
4: deal with enough shit on a
3: daily basis. I hear you, Stephen.
2: <laughs> well, and, and and like that's what he's talking about when he says pushback is that like yeah. like we have the solutions they are low tech.
3: How do you do composting toilets in like an apartment building? You know, I know that it can be done. Well,
2: so there's so there's the Bullet Center in Seattle which which is a six-story building that is all composting toilets, but that but that's like high tech. Composters that like an actual service manages, um, but then there's also this thing that like that like you know so like the national parks all use composting toilets yeah. quote unquote, but that but that most of them aren't maintained properly, so they're not actually composting, and so really what they're doing is they're just like hauling out helicopter loads of poop. Oh god! Um, <laughs> and so so it's like it's like there's composting, but then there's but like the composting actually has to happen. And, like, often isn't.
3: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like, part of that answer is, like, oh, well, if that sounds hard to you, that means that the way you're living is wrong and, like, you, we should all be living differently, which I don't, like, that's, the that's like, part of the whole climate. Like, we need to really change. Like, we do need to be living differently, probably, but, like, it does, there's a real moralistic and... Um, yeah, exactly. Th- there's, a lot of, there's a lot going on in that kind of statement. Exactly. So, but, like, if you were to, like, how could we reinvent the toilet A for, like... A big apartment building, how could we reinvent the toilet for a place that like maybe doesn't have like a really great functioning sewage system like th- those are interesting questions, and I bet there are people working on it. yeah i don't know how to answer that
2: okay, so so the standard Western environmentalist uh, answer to the question of why are toilets so wasteful is to just go to the, the composting toilet, right. Uh, there are problems, however, with the composting toilet. There are like 2.5 billion people that don't have access to sanitation right now in the world.
3: By sanitation, do you mean plumbing? Yeah.
2: Okay. Where this starts to become really more problematic is, uh, well, actually, let me just introduce you to Chris Buckley. He's at the University of KwaZulu-Natal in Durban, South Africa. He's going to explain why this gets problematic.
6: One of the definitions I've come across of urbanization is if you if you were to go out and take a spade with you, go out and... Defecate out in the open and if the following day you happen to stand on a piece of um, Feces and if it wasn't yours, then you know, you're in a in a peri-urban area (laughs) (laughs) Right, so take take New York take any large city Can you imagine if you take a a high-rise building of apartments it, people cannot manage their own e- excrement there. Too
4: much doo-doo.
2: Yeah, like you, like each person can't be managing their own crap if they're like millions of people in a small space. The, the question then becomes, can we redesign our whole waste stream? So for starters, Chris heads up a facility where uh, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation has a contest underway called the Reinventing the Toilet Challenge, <laughs> conveniently. That, yeah, nice. <laughs>
3: <laughs> the way that we,
2: our listener phrased the question. Um, the real problem is that there are lots of pathogens in your poo, right? And, and especially <laughs> in cities, if you're talking about like an emergency situation involving power outages with lots of water, like a big storm, right? Uh, having tons of pathogens in close proximity to people is a really dangerous situation. So the Gates Foundation is trying to get researchers to create cheap off-grid toilets that actually kill the pathogens. Uh, they've got two working prototypes. They use a very small solar panel to, to run what they call an electrochemical cell which basically runs a little electrodes, creates uh, chlorine gas in a, in the space and and kills all the pathogens that are in there. but they they're like they exist, they work, but they're really expensive still. so it's not like they have not won the Bill Gates contest yet but, they, they have started to come up with some really inst- interesting solutions to, to some of our wastewater problems. And so we're just going to talk like totally blue sky for a second. Um, if you could totally redesign what we do with our toilets, uh, what would it look like?
3: Oh, are you saying that we have to come up with the ideas? No, no. no. Uh, <laughs> I, I have, I have. <laughs> we are going to blue sky this yes, right now. <laughs> <it is. laughs>
2: the nut that needs to be cracked to make a more rational way of dealing with our waste is separating the poo and the pee. Okay? So the pee is where all the nutrients are, right? The poo is where all the pathogens are. Pee is mostly sterile. And it's actually, it's like not too far from being a marketable product. You could like collect it and with a minimal amount of processing, turn it into fertilizer. But the problem is it's all mixed in with the poo.
4: Mm. (laughs) (laughs) You can imagine a world. This conversation.
2: In which we have a pee tank. In every house <laughs> that gets emptied by like a service, like a truck comes, however often, pumps out the pee, Messly. takes that off, turns it into sells fertilizer it fertilizer at like a plant somewhere. Which means that what would be left over is just poo and water. And uh, if you don't need to take out all the nutrients, which is like a big part of what our wastewater treatment plants do, you can totally reimagine the way that those work too.
6: We we'll reduce the footprint of the wastewater treatment works. By 60%. Wow. And it turns the wastewater treatment works from being energy negative into being energy positive.
2: This is a technology that actually already exists. It's called an anaerobic digester. They're like dairy farms and things that have them installed already all over the country. And basically what it does, it takes the poo, breaks it down using certain kinds of microbes, and what you get is methane, which is like natural gas, and you got it from a renewable source and you can burn that to make heat or electricity.
4: It is a renewable
2: source. (laughs) I'm, so, I'm sorry. You are in second grade.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: it's very hard to not make lots of jokes throughout all this. <laughs> right. But like the the reason this is all very sort of like theoretical and blue skies is just like, okay, so we have to mandate that everyone replaces all the toilets in all of their houses, uh, that we then create an entire sort of like urine recycling industry that is going to service all of these toilets, uh, and then we have to retool all of our wastewater treatment plants, and also, by the way, we have to teach men to pee sitting down because the the splitting toilets only work if you pee sitting down. Yeah, ah.
3: <laughs> this is cool. Though I didn't know that that um that if if you did that, like how much more efficient it would get, and that that urine actually could be that useful. Well, and it's so funny because like
2: because like the way we've got it set up now, it's like dealing with it all together. And I I just guess I didn't realize that they were. I mean, I guess I knew that they were very different. <laughs> <laughs>
4: I mean, they have different numbers associated. Yeah. <laughs> a one or a two.
3: <laughs> I know it seems obvious. There is a part of it that
2: if you if you wanted to do this, that would be a government deciding to do it. They would mandate this. They would mandate this style of toilet, and therefore they would they would actually be mandating that like men pee sitting down, uh, which you know that's that's like an interesting th- thing to think about. Like, are, are governments willing to? To go there.
3: We have done like massive, like installing electricity in every house, installing plumbing in, throughout our cities.
2: We've done big stuff before.
3: Yeah. No, we have done big <laughs> stuff before. Like, yeah. And uh, when we talk about, um we talk about needing massive infrastructural change to tackle the problems that if we don't tackle the problems, the world is going to melt. Um, and so, I, I mean, I think that the ideas that will really be effective might sound like this, like really kind of outlandish and like, whoa, we're, could we ever do that, you know? Maybe this isn't the one, I don't know, but I think the ideas will kind of sound like that.
2: All right, last question.
5: Hi, this is Carolyn, and I'm calling from Maine. Um, So this summer there's been a lot of attention paid to diseases like um, Tripoli that can be transmitted from a bite from an infected mosquito. But my question is, During the middle of the day, when these species of mosquito are less likely to be feeding, what are they doing instead? Which made me wonder if mosquitoes sleep. (gasps) I love this question.
2: (laughs) Right. So so real quick, triple E, uh, eastern equine encephalitis, is this very rare mosquito-borne illness that can like kill you dead. Uh, And Southern New England, particularly right now is freaking out about it because there've been a couple dozen cases and, and multiple fatalities. And this is part of that story of like tropical diseases coming farther North, perhaps (sighs) thanks to climate change.
6: Uh,
3: I just, I never know how scared to be with this kind of thing.
2: (laughs) But but triple E aside, so so Aubrey and I, my wife Aubrey and I have argued about this since we started dating. Oh my god, (laughs) this is. Wait, we gotta hear the basis of the argument. That's amazing. Well, it's just like we we. So Aubrey's parents live in a place that have a lot of mosquitoes. Uh, It's like a shady hemlock forest, and keeping the mosquitoes out of the house is just like that's all anyone is worried about all (sighs) the time when you're hanging out at Aubrey's parents' house. And so she would often say, "Well, we should just wait. Like we should just wait a little while till the mosquitoes go to bed." And I would just be like, mosquitoes don't go to bed. Like they're little blood-sucking robots that like tireless and indefatigable. Like they don't
3: sleep. Like humans sleep, mosquitoes don't sleep. Well, this is maybe a chance for me to tell my wasp story. And um, there's so there's this one time that I was like trying to get the wasps so, like go away, and um instead the wasp came into my house and um was <laughs> like in my room, and um. So I just like kind of stayed awake all night with the lights on, like watching the wasp. <laughs> but eventually kind of like quieted down and found a spot on the ceiling and sort of I don't know how to explain it, but it, it got like flatter. Hmm. Um and just it was it was like it went into the sort of a dormancy like sleeping. Um <laughs> and then eventually I just I think I went away that weekend. I just like woke up that morning, I guess I slept for a little bit um, and like shut it all in, shut it away in the room and then it just died in there. So mm. this shows me to be a terrible person, but <laughs> very a coward. Um, but I, I think that the wasp was asleep.
2: Yeah. Well, that would mean you'd be on
4: Aubrey's side, which would be typical.
3: <laughs> well.
4: Jimmy, whose side are you on? That's a good question. Um I want them to sleep.
2: Well, there's definitely times where there are less mosquitoes. Yeah. That's definitely true. Yes. But 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 like have you ever been camping? Like there are mosquitoes out at night. Right. They come and they like buzz right next to your ear while you're trying to sleep in the tent.
4: Yeah. Yeah, they're everywhere. I got I would I'd say no.
3: I'd say they don't sleep. It just makes me like you just think they're little like robot machines then. That's yeah. how I feel. And
4: then they die.
2: They <laughs> suck they suck and die. But I'm I sure that we will find someone to answer this question because if there's one thing I know about the mosquito, that it's that because they are our apex predator, they are very heavily studied by smart people. We found uh, two smart people to smarten us up about mosquitoes. The first uh, is Laura Duvall, who heads up a brand new mosquito research lab at Columbia. Uh, and And she informed me that I'm just wrong, 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 like totally wrong. Mosquitoes do sleep. (laughs) Uh, They don't just rest. And there are a couple of reasons that we know this.
3: If you sleep deprive them. If you don't let them um, sleep basically when they would normally sleep, you actually see them recover it later.
2: What does she mean? She means that they're like teenagers. If they're staying up till 3 in the morning, they like sleep in afterward. I
3: thought that was a myth that you could never catch up on sleep.
2: Well, you try to. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or
4: you're just so tired that you just pass out at work.
3: <laughs> when are, are you? Is that a, a date? I mean, is that an attack? <laughs>
2: I don't know who you're referring to. (laughs)
3: Who have you seen sleeping at work?
2: (laughs) The other bit of evidence actually comes from fruit flies, uh, but is generally believed to be applicable to other insects. And this research won the 2017 Nobel Prize. It's these fruit fly researchers who isolated the gene that uh, governs our sleep cycles, our circadian rhythms.
3: Um, So if you feed caffeine to fruit flies, they actually sleep less. So the same types of drugs that can change human sleep also affect their sleep and if you give them sleeping pills you'll see more sleep this one then no prize
2: (laughs) (laughs) well so so it wasn't just the giving of the drugs they also found the gene that is that like if you wanted to like crisper yourself into being a night owl like you they, they know the gene that they would do to do that
4: okay it is interesting that they would respond Just as we would, I guess, to both caffeine and sleeping
2: pills. It's like, whose idea was it to feed a bunch of caffeine to mosquitoes? It seems like a terrible idea. Or fruit flies. (laughs) Indeed. All the grant money.
3: Yeah. (laughs) What did Aubrey say when she learned about this?
2: Uh, You know, she is a much bigger person than I am, so there's very little gloating involved. (laughs) She moved on. The last bit of proof I want to share comes from another smart person at the University of California. Riverside is a gentleman who heads up another mosquito research lab named Ananda Sankar Ray.
5: Just like humans get jet lag when they move across time zones, uh, mosquitoes too can get jet lag.
3: Wait. (laughs) (laughs) When are mosquitoes... Taking airplanes. I was wondering because <laughs> they have
2: they have so many places that they research mosquitoes all around the world. They're like flying them all over the place. Oh my god, that's yeah. amazing.
4: <laughs> <laughs> they get off the plane. They're like, I need it. I need a couple hours. Yeah. <laughs> wait wait wait. Hold on. No caffeine. Not 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 yet.
2: So the whole source of this confusion, though, comes from the fact that the not all mosquitoes are larks or night owls. Uh, the the eighties mosquitoes, eighties aegypti that spread Tripoli e and Zika. They sleep at night and then take a little siesta in the middle of the day uh, versus the Culex mosquitoes, which are the ones that that give us like West Nile virus. They are nocturnal. So there are mosquitoes up at all hours. They're just different species.
3: I mean, they sleep, right? But not in a way that's helpful.
2: (laughs) (laughs) But isn't it kind of nice to know that, well, there are like a couple things that I found about this that, that made me feel a little more sympathetic toward mosquitoes. The other is that... Uh both so so female mosquitoes need to drink your blood to get the protein to make eggs. But the rest of the time, both males and females just sip nectar out of flowers.
5: What?
2: Yeah.
4: Mm. I mean that's drink are trying. No no, I think that, I think it's lovely. I think it's
2: Outside In was produced this week by me, Sam Evans-Brown, with help from Jimmy Gutierrez, Justine Paradise, and Taylor Quimby. Our executive producer is Erica Janik. Maureen McMurray is the director of vegetable-based thought experiments. If you'd like to get your question on Ask Sam, call the hotline. The number is 1-844-GO-OTTER. You can also record a voice memo and send it to outsidein at nhpr.org. Our theme music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. Outside In is a production of New Hampshire Public Radio.
1: I live by routines, especially my same-day delivery routine with shipped. Because when Sunday rolls around, I'm not scared. I got my shopper on the way with all my favorites. Shipped Delight in every delivery. Learn more at Shipt.com